Chapter 17 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by DJ in Chatham, Ontario, Canada. Zafloya by Charlotte Dacre. Chapter 17. As though the curse of Lorena were entailed upon her daughter, that of becoming absorbed by a guilty and devouring flame, with the single exception that, in the case of the former, the heart and mind had been involuntarily seduced by a designing betrayer, while the other cherished and encouraged an increasing passion for one who attempted her not, and which common honor should have taught her to repel. Victoria dwelt with unrestrained delight upon the attractions of the object that had presented itself to her fickle and ill-regulated mind. From her infancy untaught, therefore unaccustomed to subdue herself, she had no conception of that refined species of virtue which consists in self-denial, the proud triumph of mind over the weakness of the heart she had ever been unconscious of. Education had never corrected the evil propensities that were by nature hers. Hence pride, stubbornness, and the gratification of self, contempt and ignorance of the nobler properties of the mind, with a strong tincture of the darker passions, revenge, hate, and cruelty made up the sum of her early character. Example. A mother's example had more than corroborated every tendency to and the unhappy Victoria was destitute of a single actuating principle that might, in consideration of its guilt, deter her from the pursuit of a favorite object. Her mind, alas, was an eternal night, which the broad beam of virtue never illumined. Henrique was the subject of her thoughts by day. He employed her fancy by night. His form presented itself if she awoke. He figured in her dreams if she slumbered. Daily, nay, momentarily, her unchecked passions acquired strength. Already she viewed with disgust, heightened by unfading remembrance of the sentiments he had once entertained respecting her, the being who had claimed so strong upon her gratitude and affection. For the young Leela she cherished the most unprovoked and bitterest hate. The hot breath she respired was charged with wishes for her destruction. Yet each and all of these beings were unconscious of the feelings they inspired. For the Honorable Berenza, whose mild philosophy taught him, it was only just to conclude that love induced love, and proofs of esteem gratitude, regarding his wife with an unvarying tenderness. The innocent Leela placed confidence in her smiles and courteous demeanor, while Henrique, absorbed in the contemplation of an adored mistress, remarked not the impassioned glances of another directed towards him, nor the pointed attention by which they were at times accompanied. Eminently indeed calculated to excite an ardent love in youth was the mind and person of the orphan Leela. Pure, innocent, free even from the smallest taint of a corrupt thought was her mind. Delicate, symmetrical, and of fairy-like beauty, her person so small, yet of so just proportion, sweet, expressing a seraphic serenity of soul, seemed her angelic countenance, slightly suffused with the palest hue of the virgin rose. Long flaxen hair floated over her shoulders. She might have personified, were the idea allowable, innocence in the days of her childhood. Her very situation had a powerful claim upon the heart of sensibility, for the blooming Leela was an orphan. No ostensible protector had she under the face of heaven since an old and feeble relative, whose very existence from day to day appeared precarious, could not justly be deemed so. This very circumstance it was that drew most powerfully towards her the benevolent soul of Berenza, and ardently he longed for the expiration of the allotted year that she might obtain, in the arms of his brother, a safe and honorable refuge. Time rolled on, and the effervescence of Victoria's mind increased almost to madness. 
nothing but the consideration of the proposed marriage between Henrique and Lila being, in conformance with the religious scruples of the latter, protracted, kept her within the bounds of discretion, necessary even for the accomplishment of her own purpose. But as she beheld time passing away, and that still Henrique, the idol of her thoughts, remained wholly insensible to the most open insinuations, almost avowals of the feelings he had excited, she became nearly frantic with desperation, and resolved to risk everything to obtain her point. The most wild and horrible ideas took possession of her brain. Crimes of the deepest dye her imagination could conceive appeared as nothing opposed to the possibility of obtaining a return of love from Henrique. And to see him bestowing upon the envied Lila marks of the tenderest attachment made her wild with the furor of conflicting passions. Now it was that she truly felt she had never loved the injured Berenza, but that circumstances, the situation of the moment, and a combination of events alone, had first induced her to attend, and ultimately to fly to him as the only being who would afford her protection. She now viewed him as a philosophic sensualist alone, whose conduct towards her had been solely accentuated by selfish motives. Was he not considerably her superior in years? It was plain, then, that his regard for her had been of the most unworthy kind, and his anxiety to ascertain her love for him, ere he took advantage of the situation into which she had thrown herself, a refinement of the grossest artifice. But Henrique, the lovely Henrique, was more upon an equality with her, and it was for him that the selfish Berenza should have reserved her. Thus it was that she ungratefully reflected upon the delicate and noble conduct of the Conte towards her, forgotten all of his honorable forbearance, despised his refined and disinterested attachment, and thus it is, that in the pursuance of some favorite object, the wicked depreciate the benefits they have received. Retiring one night to her chamber, more gloomy, more repining than ever, she threw herself upon her bed, secretly wishing that Berenza, that Lila, nay, even the whole world, if it stood between her and the attainment of her object, could become instantly annihilated. Her bosom ached with the exhausting conflict of the most violent passions. Death and destruction entered her thoughts, and twice she started up, as impelled to execute some dreadful purpose, she knew not what. Horrible images possessed her brain, and her heart seemed burning with an intense and unquenchable fire. She became even herself astonished at the violence of the sensations which shook her, and for an instant believed herself under the influence of some superior and unknown power. Transported nearly beyond the bounds of reason, almost expecting, in the wilderness of her distempered fancy, to behold somewhat that should corroborate her idea, perhaps even to soothe the agony of her bosom, she started up again from her thorn-strewed pillow. But no, all was peaceful without. The rage and the confusion was in her breast. A dim light at the furthest end of the chamber, emitting a few solitary rays, revealed the surrounding loneliness and gloom. She pressed her hand on her throbbing temples. Her heart beat with violence, and once more overpowered, she laid her head upon her pillow. At length, she fell into a disturbed slumber. Dreams of mysterious tendency began to flit in the disordered eye of sleep. First, she beheld, in a beautiful and luxurious garden, Lila and Henrique. His arm encircled her waist, and her head reclined upon his shoulder, while he contemplated her angelic countenance with looks of ineffable love. At this vision, a deep groan broke in sleep from the miserable Victoria. She endeavored to turn her eyes from them, but could not, and... While the most horrible and raging pain shot through her heart, they suddenly disappeared from before her, and she found herself alone, in a remote part of the garden. Presently she beheld, approaching towards her, 
a group of shadowy figures. They appeared to hover in mid-air, but at no great distance from the earth, and, as they came nearer, she discerned, that though of a deadly paleness, their features were beautiful and serene. These passed gradually, when, as if from the midst of them, she beheld advancing a moor, of a noble and majestic form. He was clad in a habit of white and gold. On his head he wore a white turban, which sparkled with emeralds, and was surmounted by a waving feather of green. His arms and legs, which were bare, were encircled with the finest oriental pearl. He wore a collar of gold round his throat, and his ears were decorated with gold rings of an enormous size. Victoria contemplated this figure with an inexplicable awe, and, as she gazed, he bent his knee and extended his arms towards her, while in this attitude, her mind filled with terror, she looked upon him with dread, and essaying to fly, she stumbled and awoke. Reflecting on her dream, she could attribute it only to the disturbed state of her mind, and, desirous if possible to forget for a few moments her pain, she again endeavored to sleep. Scarcely had thought become again suspended, ere fancy took the lead, she now saw herself in a church brilliantly illuminated. When, horrible to her eyes, approaching the altar near which she stood, appeared Lila, led by Enrique and attired as a bride. In the instant that their hands were about to be joined, the more she had beheld in her preceding dream appeared to start between them, and beckoned her towards him. Involuntarily she drew near him, and touched his hand, when Berenza stood at her side and, seizing her arm, endeavored to pull her away. "'Wilt thou be mine?' in a hurried voice whispered the moor in her ear. "'And none then shall oppose thee.' But Victoria hesitated, and cast her eyes upon Henrique. The moor stepped back, and again the hand of Henrique became joined with Lila's. "'Wilt thou be mine?' exclaimed the moor in a loud voice. "'And the marriage shall not be.' "'Oh, yes, yes!' eagerly cried Victoria, overcome by intense horror at the thoughts of their union. In an instant she occupied the place of Lila, and Lila, no longer the blooming maid, but a pallid specter, fled shrieking through the aisles of the church, while Berenza, suddenly wounded by an invisible hand, sunk covered in blood at the foot of the altar. Exultation filled the bosom of Victoria. She attempted to take the hand of Enrique, but casting her eyes upon him, she beheld him change to a frightful skeleton, and in terror awoke. Her mind was now in a chaos of agitation and horror, from which she found it difficult to recover, endeavoring, however, by a violent effort to recall her scattered ideas, and to resume her usual firmness, she became collected enough to review the leading features of her dream. The image which, upon this review, presented itself most forcibly to her mental vision was that of the moor whose person she had a confused idea of having seen frequently before. After a minute's reflection, she identified him for Zofloya, the servant of Henrique. Why he should be connected with her dreams, who never entered her mind when waking, she could not divine. But certain it was that his exact resemblance, though as it were of polished and superior appearance, had figured chiefly in her troubled sight. She next reverted to the terrible moment in which she beheld joined the hands of Lila and Enrique, but that Zafloya had offered to prevent the marriage. On this incident she pondered with a sensation of pleasure, and Berenza, bleeding and dying at her feet, she contemplated as a blissful omen of her success. The more she considered, the more she inferred, the less reason she perceived for interpreting ill the visions of the night, and the conclusion which, at length, she drew was this that every barrier to the gratification of her wishes would ultimately be destroyed. 
and that she should at length obtain Henrique. All else she considered irrelevant to the true purport of her dream, and the fantastic ebullitions of a disturbed mind. The frequent introduction of Zafloya she judged to be merely in consequence of her beholding him daily, sometimes attending behind the chair of his master at mealtimes, and on other occasions, while Enrique, changing to a skeleton when she obtained his hand, was emblematic only, she conceived, that he would be hers till death. The following day, when, at a late hour, she entered the apartment where they usually dined, the first object that caught her attention was the tall, commanding figure of the Moor, standing near the chair of his master. She almost started as she beheld him, and, the image in her dreams flashing upon her mind, she marked how exact was the similitude in form, in features, and in dress. She seated herself, however, at the table, but voluntarily stole frequent glances towards him. Once or twice she imagined that he looked upon her with a peculiar expression of countenance, and strange, incongruous ideas shot through her brain, ideas which even to herself were indefinable. She became at length gloomy and abstracted from mere incapacity to develop her own sensations. But to be gloomy and abstracted had of late ceased in air to become remarkable, and, while the excellent Berenza in secret deplored this change in his beloved Victoria, he forbore the slightest reproach, endeavoring only, by the kindest and most delicate attentions, to disperse her frequent melancholy. The innocent Leela, too, with sweet gentleness, would sometimes approach and seek, by endearment or lively converse, to remove what was so evident to all. But the efforts of the lovely girl appeared rather to injure than to benefit Victoria. They roused her from her dejection indeed, but elicited strong irritability and feelings of the bitterest nature. Solitude in general seemed to delight her mast, and as she had denied to Berenza that she possessed any definable cause of melancholy, in that he permitted her to indulge, hoping, unsuspicious of the evil in her heart, that her mind, by its own efforts, would recover its tone. As for Henrique, though he treated her with friendship and respect as the wife of his brother, he did no more. First, because he was absorbed in Leela, and secondly, because being so completely, both in mind and person, the reverse of that pure and delicate being, he not only failed to view them as two creatures of the same class, but almost thought of Victoria with a tincture of dislike from the very circumstance of being so opposite to his lovely mistress. End of chapter 17 Recording by DJ in Chatham, Ontario, Canada.